and welcome to My Favorite Theorem, a math podcast with no quiz at the end. I'm Evelyn Lamb, a freelance math and science writer uh, based in Salt Lake City, but currently uh, podcasting from my parents' house in Dallas, which is actually not any warmer than Salt Lake City right now, unfortunately. Um, this is your other host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. I'm in my faculty office. I'm usually, Exciting. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the chair of the department, right? But I'm hiding out in the faculty office today. Actually, I was, I was looking for better wireless. Um, and it seems to be working a little better in here. But it's so weird because I have nothing in this office. Like nothing. Uh, it's very strange. So anyway, uh, how are things going for you? Uh, not too bad. Um, yeah, seeing my family, which is nice. Mm -hmm. And very excited about today's episode. Um, yeah. So yeah. let's get right to it. We're let's very it. happy today. Um, both of us are music lovers, and we're very happy to introduce our guest, Emily Howard, a composer. Emily, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm based in the UK, in Manchester. Um, I'm originally from Liverpool. And um, I'm a composer. I love writing for um, large ensembles, large acoustic ensembles, such as the orchestra. Um, I also write vocal music, choral music, um, and also chamber music. Um, so a lot, lots of different um, areas. And I suppose um, probably the reason that you've got me on here is that I've got a real interest in um, mathematics. Um, and actually, I have a degree in mathematics and computer science. My undergraduate was in mathematics and computer science. Um, and um, I suppose that, you know, definitely it's, it's one of the key influences on my work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was listening to, it might have been the BBC Proms a few years ago. Um, I was listening and saw this piece that I think was called Taurus. And I thought, you don't accidentally name something Taurus. Uh, <laughs> and so decided to, tr to try to find out more about this you know, person who had, had named her composition Taurus. And so, yeah, I, I found out that you had a math background and thought it would be just really fun to talk to you on the podcast. So, yeah, can you talk a little bit about the, and I know you've done some collaborations with mathematicians, you know, written pieces, like kind of in conversation with mathematicians in the composition process. And I would love to hear about that. Yeah, so... Um... I mean, I suppose actually in 2015, I had, um, I think it was a Leverhulme um, fellowship at the University of Liverpool working with, um, in, within the mathematics department there. Um, I, I had been invited by um, Lasse Remper-Gillen. He's a, he's a professor um, in dynamical systems. And I think he'd, he'd been in touch because he had himself played the violin um, in an amateur orchestra in Liverpool. And they had performed a piece of mine called Mesmerism. Actually, um, I mean, it was after Ada Lovelace. Ada Lovelace used to dabble in all types of things, including mesmerism, um, a, a sort of a, um, a form of early hypnosis. And the mm -hmm. piece, I mean, that piece was a piece for solo piano and, and orchestra, and he was playing in it. And I think he thought um, it would be great to invite me, as uh, someone perhaps with a mathematics background, back after, you know, 15 years away in the music world, actually back into um, the maths department. And... I mean, it was actually, I'm so glad that this, this, this happened because um, sort of going back in and speaking to lots of different mathematicians at, in a different way, um, rather than sort of, um, I don't know, having to take exams and study. I was more being an observer, having amazing conversations about people's research. So, you know, regularly I'd speak to someone in one area of mathematics and another. And I suppose I felt, I mean, I felt that, 
what I realised was that mathematicians often don't understand what each other are speaking about. And so I didn't feel so bad about it that I could sort of, you know, you'd have, um, I could dip in and I suppose it helped me to take a a more global approach or sort of to take more general ideas. Because I think that's one thing perhaps you lose if you don't practice mathematics regularly. You know, you lose the sort of really... Um, very detailed approach and that that's kind of annoying but but it you know it's really annoying in many ways but and it's, I mean I also find it annoying when you can't you know completely understand something because you'd have to spend quite a few years really thinking about it in depth but then you know something is also gained from sitting back and taking a look at everything and absorbing in a very different way um so anyway we worked together on a set of um uh, ch- chamber pieces actually um you can you could be able to find them on my website um one's called leviathan um another is called um well th- these are all starter um sort of pieces um exploring ideas um in Lass- from lasse's research in dynamical systems and i suppose they're all based on kind of thinking about perturbations and thinking about um i've got some etudes as well they're called etudes in dynamical systems just trying out very particular things with data sets, but also, um, you know, conceptual ideas about um, reaching stasis and loops from something. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I suppose that, that I also spoke a lot with colleagues on, you know, in mathematical biology and also in um, topology. And um, I remember, I think this is where um, kind of, if it was to talk about Taurus, it was, it was kind of born the idea because it it was it was almost like this this period of time gave me more confidence to actually um do something and uh, with with mathematics um just just to to go back back a bit i mean i had after my undergraduate in mathematics i'd spent um a couple of years doing a masters at the royal northern college of music in um composition and then um more years at manchester university doing a phd in um composition as well and i suppose when i was doing this phd i was really I really wanted to use these ideas or concepts from mathematics, but I didn't really have a musical um, technique to do that. And I suppose that grew. And at this point, I felt that, um, you know, it sort of all merged and I was able to perhaps achieve something that I wanted to achieve um, with these mathematical ideas through music. Um, and so, um, yeah, just to, to, to go on to, you mentioned Taurus. And yeah, I mean, I'm immensely proud of Taurus. It's a big orchestral work. It's like 23 minutes long, long. Um, based on um, yeah, the, the mathematical shape, a torus, a donut. Um, and this is when I had actually just met a mathematician, Marcus de Sotoy, who I work with mm. quite quite a lot. Um, he's based at Oxford and he's um, we'd met um, because of this thing. And when we spoke first, actually, he was writing about... Um, he was writing about, I think he'd, no, he'd written a play about a Taurus and I was sort of saying, well, actually, my piece is about a Taurus. So we really bonded on this. And one of, one of the things that um, interested me most was I said, you know, the, um, the, the BBC Proms is held at the Royal Albert Hall in London. And um, the first thing he said was, well, that is a Taurus. And I, I just thought, how funny. I, it really is because it's kind of you, you can run round and round it, you know, and it's just, <laughs> just really nice to, hear, you know, hear this thing anyway. Yeah. So I, I'm, especially, I'm especially fascinated here because, so my son is a composer. Um, well, he, he, he just finished his undergraduate degree and now he's in graduate school for composition. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always 
first I'm encouraged that composers can actually make a living, right? Because whenever I would tell a mathematician, one of my friends, oh, my son's studying composition, he said, well, how's he going to live? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I figure he'll figure <laughs> it out. Clearly, it's possible to figure it out. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm super encouraged. Um, uh, yeah, so Evelyn, you had a question. You had a real question, yeah. though. Yeah. Oh, well, and I was just saying this is an existence proof then for... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Your son. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I was, you know... Music is a very non-representational art form. Uh, mm. it, it, you know, unlike a, a canvas where you could, I mean, it's still hard to represent mathematical ideas on a painting, but but can you say anything about how you do use the, the form of music to represent mathematical ideas? I suppose it's really interesting that you say that because I completely agree with you, actually, that it is very difficult to do that. And I wonder if... Even if I, especially in abstract music, if we take aside, you know, if it has text in it, that's a very different type of thing. But right. in an abstract form, actually, I wonder if, if I ever tried to absolutely represent something from mathematics within music, whether in fact anyone would know. And I suspect, actually, it, uh, there are cases when I've worked very closely with people and they really know what I'm doing. I think they can certainly tell. But actually, I don't think that that's necessarily... Um, happens and also I, it's definitely not what I'm trying to do absolutely not so I suppose my aim is not to represent mathematics my aim is to I mean I love hearing about mathematics and I'm completely inspired by processes and systems and patterns and I suppose what I'm doing is taking them and that they're cat that's a catalyst for my creative process and so I do think something comes through but I don't think it's uh, but I think it's more that I couldn't make what I'm making without doing this and it's more that um you know something new is 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 occurring that came from thinking about these things but it's definitely not it's not a representational thing i'd say i mean that's definitely the case for um maybe large the more large scale pieces we could talk about like taurus but i think also uh, there have been a couple of pieces when i have tried my very best to represent ideas and one of them will be um, this the set of um, I mean the set of dynamical system etudes that was one of them, and then another one would be um, this the music of proof, um, which is a I wrote a string quartet because um, uh, Marcus and I were discussing proof and different ways you can prove things proof by contradiction proof by induction, and and I put to, he he was um, he wanted to to put those to me and then I would create responses to different kinds of proofs and so I suppose. That's as representational as I've been. And it, it and actually it was really useful because in doing that, then I gained a whole set of, uh, like I thought about, I'd never tried to write music before as though I'm solving a mathematical proof. But actually in doing that, that led me to new places. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do, find new ways to do things and make new sounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really maybe cool. respond more mm -hmm. than represent. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, Definitely. Some, some music is yeah. sort of, you, you can tell, it, it, it's not deliberately mathematical, I don't think. Like, I think of like, um, like Steve Reich's minimalism percussion piece. Right? Clapping there's, music. You yeah, know, yeah they're, they're so cyclical. And, you know, you can kind of, if you think about it, as a mathematician, you can kind of imagine, well, if I saw this on the page, it would almost look like, our, our listeners can't see my hands doing this. But, you know, like, you imagine <laughs> sort of, a, a, you know, intersecting sine waves and things like that. So uh, I can see how, how, how you could... But, but but and to but, take yeah. that further, yeah. um, I wonder if all music in some way can be 
well, I say reduced, and you, I don't like to reduce, but, but you could certainly represent ideas in very complex music, I think, mathematically, probably. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, not that anyone necessarily has, but perhaps the secret to lots of things is in really complex music um, represented. I mean, I don't know, well, there's, mathematically. Well, there's, there's a whole yeah. journal of mathematics and music. I mean, you could, you could certainly... I, I sat on a, a, a PhD committee for a composer on campus here who really was trying to do these... Um, very strange time signatures that were sort of approximations of pi and things like that. And I, and, and I put the question, wow. well, yeah, and I put the question to him. I said, okay, I mean, you can make a machine do these, but, but you know, can a human do this? And he said, well, no, not really. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but it was interesting. But can't humans, it was really interesting. Can't yeah. humans do math anyway? Or... <laughs> 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 this is not a philosophy podcast. I don't know. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> but um, but to, to say, no, just to say on that, uh, on that subject, I mean, I've got certain things. There are certain things you do put in notation that are absolutely beautiful mathematically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but in fact, yes, they're not really possible. But they, they do make a performer think in a certain way and it will mm -hmm. give you a certain result. So, I mean, I think they can be, I think they're beautiful and they can be mm -hmm. there. Um, sure. But you just can't expect perfection, perhaps. or. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we always like to ask our guests, what is your favorite theorem? <laughs> the, the problem is, I mean, we've kind of been speaking about it. That's that's the main mm. problem with this. I mean, and actually, I would say rather than a theorem, it's definitely the, these shapes. So, I mean, let's take the torus, but I've got this um, fascination, I'd say, with um, thinking about mathematical shapes and thinking about, you know, from them from being far away and also thinking about being on them and and i suppose mm. um i mean so you, you you've got a torus um i mean so if you, if you think about the the difference between say flat geometry and the sphere with the the, the um, spherical geometry and then i mean there's a pseudosphere and then i would call um like a negatively curved geometry i've got a piece actually called anti-sphere because i because mm. i worked out that an anti-sphere there was there's a word anti-sphere which is the same as a pseudosphere and the word anti-sphere is a lovely word and i don't like the word pseudosphere so <laughs> i called the piece anti-sphere yeah um and um i suppose I, i've just got this um because i because rather than say um you know my music is usually notated so I find it very interesting as a process to be in my mind wandering around these shapes, you know, and mm -hmm. I suppose I also think that it's very useful for music because they don't necessarily need to be 3D. I mean, music, potentially, you could perhaps hear really high, high dimensional mathematics because, mm -hmm. you know, you could be traveling around and you don't, you're not necessarily visualizing it. But um, so I suppose... Um, so I suppose, um, yeah, so my answer to your question is that I like these mathematical shapes and I'm, I've been thinking about them and really kind of studying them and using them to influence these large scale orchestral works. So that's torus, sphere and anti-sphere. And going forward, you know, I'm now looking at, um, well, I'm trying to look at Thurston, Thurston's eight geometries and mm. pushing myself in this direction. Um, yeah. You know, with the, with the aid of a number of very kind mathematical friends, because some, I mean, they're very difficult, and um, yeah. So that's that's kind of the direction of where I'm going, and just I, I find, um, you know, I suppose that that that's what we were saying earlier about the representation thing. So there are a number of stages. So I'm thinking about this Taurus. I'm thinking about 
traveling around it. So I'll give, shall I give an example from how, for, for example, how I try the compositional process for writing Taurus? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Okay. So, so Taurus is a piece. Um, it, yes, it was for the BBC Proms. It was in 2016, um, com- performed first in 2016, um, by the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra with Vasily Petrenko. Now I say, um, I wrote it over at least a year or so, and I'd also been thinking a lot about this just previously, thinking about travelling on this tour. And what, what I was thinking about when I wrote it um, was was the idea that you're going, you're travelling round and round one direction of the Taurus, um, you know, so, and and I suppose, and I took these um, very consonant chords, so I've got major sixths, I don't, if you hear it, and it's a very consonant chord, and and I, I start with this major sixth and I travel up one and down one and an, up another little, they're going up in semitones and down and, and they reach a point and they come back again. So the, the harmony is very much also shaped like a torus all the way through. Um, mm. And it's it's skewed. When you hear it, it's more complex than just listening to it um, timed because I've got a real, I'm combined fascination with exponential functions and the idea of, really big things could becoming absolutely minuscule, but also kind of being related. So, you know, this kind of journey around um, the Taurus, the first loop in, in this orchestral work is about five minutes long. And you, if you do listen, you'll hear it in the strings. And to my mind, I've got this sort of ever expanding and closing Taurus um, idea in the strings, but but maybe on the surface of, of as I go round, you hear different things each time you go round. So you hear, you know, and that's perhaps in the wind and in the percussion and in the brass. So, so it's almost like you're on a landscape and it's changing. Now, the piece works by um, this, the, I suppose the radius of this, the donut shaped torus sort of shrinking. So you go round it and each, I mean, it gets quicker and quicker. So, and you'll hear, I think, Probably, I think it's around about um, maybe even seventy minutes in. There's there's a viola solo because it's it's really big and it and it sort of shrinks down. I think there are seven um, sort of around this 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 way the torus and you get this viola solo that encapsulates these um, major sixth idea because you can just play all of that on one solo viola, mm-hmm. and then there's this sort of huge shift in thinking in the piece. And again, that almost came from thinking about dynamical systems and just a, like a completely, mm-hmm. you know, changing the goalposts. And then, you, then you're traveling very fast and to, you know, in my mind, we've flipped so that we're now thinking about going around the other direction mm. of a Taurus oh, forever okay. and ever. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah. and you'll hear that. It's a huge um, moment and it just, that music seems to completely change. So it's as though it's in a different, and that, you, you know, so... Um, so I suppose um, you couldn't, I don't think anyone listening to it will hear a, a Taurus shape because you can't, because you're hearing my ideas about journeying around it. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, but, but actually, it really helped me to think about this thing and to, you, you know, I could, I could, it sort of is absolutely, um, yeah, about this sort of journeying around on it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. So I'm, I'm almost imagining like you could, Maybe I, I wish I had like a some kind of inner tube or something. Yeah. But like maybe the the first loop around is like on the top where it's further apart, and then you're mm-hmm. you're kind of almost falling into the middle where the mm. you know the two sides <laughs> of the tor or the the right. hole of the torus is kind of small, and then you you kind of flip the other way mm-hmm. and start. Mm-hmm. 
Spotlight. It's yeah. The next time I listen to it, I'll have to imagine, um, you I'm know, sure that kind of the, journey. It, the thing is, I'm sure now I've told you that you probably will hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think as well. Um, I mean, it's not. I, it's never so obvious because I'm also doing a couple of other things as well. So each journey around this Taurus, so I said the first one's about five minutes, you know, the first, you'll also hear that these major six alternate in the string. So you hear on what, it's almost like there's a one side and there's another side. So you hear this sort of, they, they appear to travel like this and they get, and then on the other way, they're sort of all, everything is together, you know, so it's rhythmic unison and and it. And there's a sort of written out row, so it gets slower and slower, um, and you'll hear, and then it comes around again. So, mm. I mean, yeah, I just mm. you hear there's that, and there, and then sometimes as well, um, one side of the Taurus that is going on in the background in my in my mind, and that's definitely happening. But in fact, there's something else on the surface, like there's these very loud things going on sometimes, and they are they obliterate this uh, this thing, but it's always there, and mm. uh, and I mean a bit like say a painter might have a layer of something to start the piece that was th- this is my layer this sort of journey um and then and then it builds up so. mm-hmm. yeah. and and you totally yeah. had, you, you had evelyn at Bi- at uh, viola solo too by yeah the way, right? yeah i do play yeah. viola so <laughs> oh great you'll hear that yeah. <laughs> yeah you're pushing all our buttons you know uh wonderful sons yeah right thing my right. viola thing yeah yep. you're just excellent yep um yeah, but so you've got, um, oh, yeah, yeah. I, what I was wondering is, do you know, like, why did, why were you drawn to the Taurus specifically? Do you know? That is a really good question. No, <laughs> I'm not sure I do. Um, well, well, I was wondering, you, know, you mentioned the sphere and anti-sphere and Taurus yeah. mm-hmm. are, are kind of the set and those can be like the three different two-dimensional geometries. Mm. Right. Um, but I'm wondering whether you kind of already liked the Taurus and just were excited that you could use it here or or if you kind of sought it out because it is this, you know, like this model of flat geometry. Um, Yeah, that's very interesting because I was, I think I was trying, maybe I, when I was writing Taurus, I was already thinking about writing Sphere as well. Mm. And, you know, in many ways, there's something too perfect about sphere yeah um <laughs> it's just it's very, very it constrains yeah. you yeah. It, it's a problem it's very limiting and, and the other thing is i was having to think of a title and actually the title taurus is just the most beautiful word mm. um and there are you know I, so I, I was i think as well i think it's the fact that the sphere was too perfect and you could you could there was a way to sort of have two very different things on this Torah. Uh, but, but I mean, I think um, it's also true to say that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't thought till later on to do the set. It, it, it's emerged, okay. uh, you know, so mm-hmm. I was sort of playing. And then suddenly I thought, when I'd written Torah, I thought, well, actually, that's quite a really wonderful way to, to think about things. And then, um, then came Sphere, and that's a shorter... Um, piece and it's uh, yeah that's a five minute piece for chamber orchestra um, and it uses I suppose um, I was thinking more about um, trying to make things um, I was thinking more about spherical geometry as I said I found that one more difficult because it had come straight after I was writing um, Taurus but however a couple of years later that's when I decided to write this anti-sphere 
and that's for um, the London Symphony Orchestra and Simon Rattle, and it was performed. I mean, it was just performed almost like a few months before lockdown, so I was very lucky oh. yeah. to have that happen. I'm really grateful. Um, and and I'd say that I mean, it's interesting because somehow I feel that my um, the 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 well the maths in it or my my the link to the maths in it is stronger with Andy Sphere and that's I think that's just because I've gained um experience and kind of maybe confidence and I I suppose I mean with Andy Sphere I was thinking about harmony I I like using quarter tones they're present in a lot of my music um you know over the last say ten years but um. And they're, they're sort of, well, like, I mean, we're used to maybe um, the 12 semitones of the scale and the quarter tones mm-hmm. are just in the middle. And they, um, and I suppose with, um, um, with, I, I was thinking about, you know, the classic angles in a triangle add up to 180 and then on the sphere it's more and mm-hmm. then on the um, the negative curve it's less. And actually in anti-sphere I use that so that you get these, um, very well you know chords that we might all recognize like a major chord but actually it's been shrunken in some way oh Um, like yeah and so it's weird and it sounds weird and also um there is a there's a section in there there's a very fast section of um a kind of circle of fifths idea but actually i think it's a circle of four and three quarters and they're great because they last longer obviously you (laughs) you know these players are amazing because they can do this and they're right i was about to say orchestra ensemble yeah yeah how do you get uh how i think i would struggle to play quarter tones on purpose i'm sure (laughs) i played some by accident Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was really blessed with this, um, you know, the, the string section. But, but it is an amazing um, experience. And I think you do feel, because you do feel this, um, you know, if you, I mean, I, I, the, the association of a major chord or, I mean, I don't think I'm using major chords, but whatever I'm using, you can, you can feel it. But then um, you can certainly feel that something's happened to it. Um, yeah. and, I, and I really like that. And another thing I did was the rhythmic thing. So... Um, you know, to sort of, I you, we've we've mentioned um, Steve Reich, and I like I like the thought that you would have, you know, you've got a regular pulse in our world, but if you somewhere else or looking in on a different kind of well, the the thought is that you're that the pulse might if it was like one one one, but in fact it could go one two four eight. So and actually our therefore our perception of this piece of music is not one of a regular pulse, but in fact I have created it as though it is but it isn't so we hear mm. a short section and a longer one and then and by the time you get to here it's so long you perceive it as something completely different mm. and it's really that i love that as a a compositional process you know um it's really so and so i did that because i in antisphere i've taken i've actually taken a chord sequence that i used in mesmerism this this early piano concerto i wrote in 2011 um and that's quite regularly you know there are a few chords at the opening you hear solo piano playing these chords and they're quite regularly spaced but in antisphere what i've done is i've taken them as the basis these piano chords as the basis of these these sort of chords that start off like a bit actually end up as three minute sections and that is and loads of weird things going on in between you like this with the percussion there's loads of weird metals and mm. sort of um resonant sounds and so yeah I, I, as i said it it gives a completely different um sort of perception of what's going on yeah i don't think i have listened to anti-sphere yet but i am now going to seek it out uh because i i really want to hear this 
Especially if I've got in my mind this idea of like hyperbolic triangles with their, you know, curved in, or they look to me like they're curved in. If I actually, if I actually believed enough, they would look like straight lines to me because I would really embody the hyperbolic. (laughs) 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 So this is happening in pitch, but it's also happening in sort of... um, rhythmically and timbre in lots of ways as well I re- yeah so I oh, I mean cool. the, I have got um I think I, I did write a um an article orchestral geometries um which I will post you know we could put there and actually that I've been lucky enough to have wonderful recordings of the three pieces um and also the scores as well mm-hmm. um alongside so yeah oh wonderful um so, yeah, another thing we do in this podcast, which we, we've kind of already done, is yeah. we ask our guests to pair their theorem or mathematical object with something. Um, and so, yes, I, I kind of assume that you would be pairing it with your compositions based <laughs> on these, uh, on the torus and these other shapes. But, yeah, do you want to add anything else about um, that or, or any other pairings, you know, if it's just a, a nice cup of tea or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a donut. No, a donut, um, I would right, say, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I was going to pair them with that. And actually, I was going to pair them perhaps with, you know, we could we could play a little clip from one of them. Yeah, so this clip is a little bit from um, the orchestral work Taurus. And I think right at, sort of about two thirds through where everything changes. So before then, you've been rotating around the, the kind of donut shape of the sphere. Um, and then, uh, sorry, the donut shape of this torus, and then you go into um, the, this um, viola solo, and then you hear the huge perturbation, and that's when you um, change as though you're rotating. Well, at least when I was writing, I was thinking about rotating around the other part of the torus. So I'm, I, I'm really, now I'm sort of curious to know how you, I mean, I know you haven't thought about it yet, but, but pursuing the sort of 3D geometries, that's going to be weird. Uh, have you seen these, um, people have tried to visualize these things using VR. Have, have you seen any of these uh, explorations? Yes, yeah. I have. And actually, if you have any more, I would love to have them because it's very helpful. Um, to see them we've, we've been looking online and there are quite a few mm-hmm. you know there are some amazing websites and sort of mm-hmm. people um, mm-hmm. actually programs for doing it and we, we're kind of exploring them but I am yeah interested and it's a new it's a new pursuit you know mm-hmm. um, so I, I, I'm really interested to um, well think about it more I think it'll take some time as well um, I'm com- currently writing a piece um, 
Yeah, and I was thinking that it would um, it would be very nice now, having written these orchestral geometries, to embody sort of a process of moving between the different geometries a bit. Um, so mm-hmm. so so that you could, I mean. I mean, no one need necessarily know this, but musically there might be a difference between this spherical and the. But they could. So I'm really interested in that. So I'll do that. Mm-hmm. But I also I'm interested in this. Um, is it H three? Is that what yep. you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yep. interested in that, and the I would. It, it, you know, it's kind of frustrating because I'd really like to understand why, and it's quite difficult. I think I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I I think it's probably well beyond me, but it. You know, the thought of this dodecahedral space and moving around and mm-hmm. the twist I've, I'm really interested in um, I'm really interested in the fact that it would um, you know that the spherical it, that these twists change whether it what what dimension could do that's really interesting to me yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah yeah and I, I'm wondering how you can use like the specific uh, like what am I trying to say like the opportunities that an orchestra gives you to sort of you know, can you like pass off ideas from one section to another and can that give you a twist or, or, you know, something like that. And how how you could use, I guess, use the the tools that you have at hand to kind of explore it in a different way than, you know, you might, if you were trying to draw it on a piece of paper. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, Probably, I'm probably better at doing that than drawing it on a piece of paper. Actually, I'm pro- yeah. you know, like a, I feel, um, I don't know, must be something about the way I think that I like these these thoughts and these kind of systems and shapes immediately present musical ideas to me. You know, so um, absolutely, you know, you could have um, well, as I, as I said, just in what I would be interested in is a sort of a, a process that. Um, that you could audibly hear becomes something different when it's spherically curved and becomes something different when it's, um, you know, hyperbolic and mm-hmm. just, and, and bring, and making that more and more extreme, you know, so, so probably the mass underlies that. And perhaps maybe it's a process of me imagining going through this, these, these, the mm-hmm. dodecahedron and things, but in fact, that would be a layer. And then after that, perhaps then, you know, I do something something more musical, as in this has given me this, you know, but I accentuate it in ways and perhaps um, also, you know, go against it and things. Because um, mm-hmm. I do think as well with um, with art, usually, you know, you, you're asking a question rather than answering anything, which is a real difference, I think. Because um, I think that the the level of, like, because mathematicians, you're, you're so interested in truth in or mathematical truth and you're really mm-hmm. bound by it. it's really important whereas i i always feel that i'm i'm more interested in what your your processes and these wonders and then i'm just using that to sort of leap somewhere um mm-hmm. unknown um yeah well so are we yeah we're leaping into the unknown all the time we just then want we want the answer once we get there right <laughs> well, i do think um there, there's a similarity in that, you know, the way mathematicians approach things a lot is you kind of set up these axioms and like, this is the rule system I'm mm-hmm. going to be working within. And I, I think that forms of art do that as well. You know, say this is like the aesthetic system that I'm working in, or this is the, and maybe they're not as rule bound as mathematics is. Cause when you say like, these are the axioms or these are, you know, whatever, 
I'm doing, then you're just really stuck with them. And with art, a lot of the times you're, it's about breaking the rules. But I do think, you know, the, you kind of set up these, it, sometimes composers can set up compositional rules where like, okay, well, I'm writing a fugue, which means that I have, you know, I'm going to have this kind of structure and the, the allowed things to do are like transposing it or flipping it backwards or things like this and say like, well, I'm working within this form in this way. So, I mean, I, I did a lot of music in college and I was kind of torn between going into math and music. And I think they, the way that I thought about them kind of tickled the same part of my brain is why I was interested in both things and ended up, you know, in the math instead of music professionally. But um, yeah, I do, I do think of those like, you know, we've made these aesthetic or, or form kind of rules in, in music or art, and now we're going to work within them just the way mathematicians do with axioms. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you on that. And I, I also would say as well that I, I agree, and actually working closely with, um, you know, professional mathematicians has really kind of opened my eyes to how much they are going, you know, because I don't think you learn that, uh, you know, these are the answers, but actually it is a lot of guesswork and it's really, um, yeah, leaping, yeah. as you say. Yeah, well, this this has been uh, a lot of fun to mm -hmm. talk with you really about has. this. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, I really hope our listeners will go find um, your pieces and we'll, we'll definitely link to your sure. website and the article you talked about and everything. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share? You know, things you want to suggest that they look into or read or any concerts coming up that people could actually attend or live stream? Um, yes. Um, so actually next week I've got, um, the, I mean, the BBC Philharmonic is playing Sphere um, mm. in, in Manchester and that should be on Radio 3 as well. And I think as well... Um, so I'm I'm based as well at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester, mm -hmm. professor there of composition, and I run I direct the Prism Lab. So it's Prism is um it's a research centre for practice and research in science and music, and I'm lucky enough to work there with um also with um colleagues Marcus de Sotoy joins us and David Deraw as well at, like um and and I suppose we're we're interested in um mathematics meets music meets science meets AI, and there are lots of different types of composers um and um. Yeah, we have a blog and that's where this orchestral geometries blog will be and um, lots of very exciting, very different things going on there. So I just wanted to mention that and maybe I could also give you a link for that as well. Sure. Yeah, great. that would yep. be great. We will include yep. it. All right. This has been fantastic. This is, thanks for joining us, Emily. This has really been great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.